You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Kate Carney. She is an advisor and coach for founders and executives, helping them grow and scale their business. We're going to talk to her a little bit of background and the work she does and how she approaches really helping companies figure out how do they how do they get through kind of the ceilings they've run themselves into in terms of being able to grow and scale. I'm always interested in speaking with other advisors and coaches that work with companies and kind of figure out how they approach it, the challenges that they see, the patterns they found inside companies, and how do they help um, founders and executives move through those. So I'm excited for this conversation. With that, Kate, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So why don't we talk a little bit about background first before we kind of dig into our, our topics here. How did you get into this work? What was your professional background? What was the story that kind of got you to what you're doing today? Sure. So mine's probably a little winding path, but I am a lawyer by practice. I spent about 12 years working with corporates and mostly hedge funds. I was in-house for a $6 billion hedge fund for five years. And then in 2016, I quit. I had no real plan in place at the time. (laughs) I guess in terms of lawyers, I'm not that risk adverse. And I spent 17 sort of figuring out what that looked like. And, Uh you know, when you're asked to look back at what the common thread or that there always is one in your career, mine was always being that right-handed advisor to whoever was in charge, right? My, My skill was being the good business judgment, the good sounding board, the good strategic thinker. And I think from a legal standpoint, and what helps me today is really taking all those different data points and noise that's coming in and finding the connections and putting that in a linear path forward. And I think that's exactly what you're doing as a coach advisor. And in between to sort of make the leap, I was introduced to a gentleman who had started a boutique law firm just focused on startups and high growth companies. And I had gotten into the startup scene really just from working at a co-working space and started going to events. I wanted to get out of the house and I got interested in sort of the companies I was talking to and the passionate founders I was talking to and what was going to be the future economy. And so I started doing legal work for them back at the end of 17, beginning of 18. And so that sort of led me into more questions about why companies weren't scaling or why founders were struggling or, you know, working with a few of the founders I worked with really closely and going into their office sometimes, you know, what wasn't working as they were building the business and did a lot of research, talked to a lot of founders. And this was really where I wanted to focus my time. And, you know, I think I always on some level wanted to get out of the law. So this was, uh, <laughs> this made sense for me and it was a better use of my skill set, honestly. 
Yeah, I started as an architect, and so <laughs> I've had a sort of circuitous <laughs> path as well. I, I'm curious, just because I always find this interesting, people that make these kind of jumps. But what do you think you learned as part of your legal training that you have kind of carried with you as you kind of as you've kind of pivoted and kind of changed the, kind of the role that you play? Is there a thread for you in terms of you know the thing that you carry forward each time? You know, I think besides the right hand, I do think it is that analytical background. So different from other coaches consultants, it is, you know, we're trained to ask the right questions and find the issues and spark the conversation around opportunity and risk. That's that's our job. It's also taking those pieces of information and being able to break them down and look at them from that analytical framework and help build the connections. I also, as part of sort of my general counsel role, was really responsible in large part for managing stakeholders. And I think that comes in handy when you're coaching leaders in terms of once you sort of get out of that founder mode and move into the CEO role, a big piece of it is being the face between stakeholders, both externally and internally. And that's, there are competing interests, there is, you know, a level of diplomacy, there is other talents and skills that come into play when that's a big part of your role. And I think a lot of founders don't have that training, right? Most people don't have that training. It's not something if you're particularly founders are really execution people and ideas people. And so the, the people management and the interest management is not something that comes naturally to them. Yeah. Are there other things you see uh, that, that happen or need to happen as, as you go from this kind of founder to more of a CEO based role? Is it just something I'm always curious about, but what the transitions people need to make in the kind of evolution of the business or anything that else that you look for? Absolutely. I think this is where I spend a lot of my time. I think it's where people get caught up and hit those plateaus. You know, in large part, it comes to when you're talking about a CEO, what is that role and understanding it, right? And so it is strategy. It is culture. It is in large part managing and developing your team and encouraging collaboration. And then it is that stakeholder role. So I think it's, you know, it's learning to hire the right people and how to really engage that team, how to lead them, getting comfortable with delegation and bigger and bigger teams and relying on management teams and giving up some of that control. It is seeing yourself as that culture leader and being really thoughtful about who you bring on and how you build out information systems and flow of information so that everybody can collaborate and do their job and work as a team effectively. And I think the role is just very different. And there again, it's skills that most people don't have. So then, you know, it's that growth mindset. I, I can learn a new skill, whether that's by going to read something about it or better approaches going to those people who have experience in those different areas. So whether that's, you know, people putting together these informal board, advisory boards, official boards, mentors, go take webinars and classes, hire coaches and consultants, get peer networks, however you can learn. I think that's a big piece of growing into that role. Yeah. And I'm curious what you notice in terms of what gets in the way of that. Are there things that you can kind of see early in a conversation, early in engagement that you know are going to be a challenge to making that transition or, or any kind of flags that you can find sometimes in, in working with clients? I think big piece is that delegation and giving up control and yeah. having faith in the fact that if you're really smart about your hiring process and not only from a qualification standpoint, but also a culture fit. And that comes down to, you know, have you really 
drill down into the role you need, the function, the tasks and responsibilities so that you have the right expectations and you've communicated those and sort of identified the right people. And then you've brought them on and they're a good culture fit. Then learning to rely and delegate is probably a huge piece of the problem. Um, And I think it's just around, you know, that piece. I think it's that leadership role stepping into. There's probably some fear of letting go and letting people down because you don't have that skill set. And so you're tentative to sort of make those changes. I think it just delays everything. Yeah. Yeah. And and who do you typically work with? I mean, what's would you are kind of engaging with a leader, engaging with a company? Are there typical kind of types of companies, types of leaders or situations? And how like what are you focused on primarily when you're engaging with folks? So a big piece of that founder to CEO transition, and that can mean different things at different stages. But you know, my focus is a little bit later stage. I think whether you're doubling the size of a team, so you're going from 25, 50, 50 to 200, whatever that looks like. You've brought on you know a few big clients that you just don't have the capacity for, and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed. You know, maybe it's where something has changed in market factors, and so your business is going to explode. You know, some industries that did very well in COVID, whether it's telemedicine or logistics, right? They exploded quickly and they weren't necessarily prepared for that shift. Maybe you, very few, but maybe you got VC funding and you don't want to screw up how you spend that money so that you're strategically using it to grow and scale, not just wasting it on things that you don't need to or poorly managing that money. Yeah. yeah. And any particular frameworks or, or models or anything that you use, you know, that helps kind of guide the process or that you're kind of looking to put in place to help solve some of these problems? No, I think it's a, you know, it's a case by case basis in terms of the founder and very founder focused. And I say it's for me, it's a hybrid between coaching and consulting. And for those that don't really follow the Mm. distinction, you know, it's for me, it's a little bit of let me probe with the right questions and help you arrive at your own answers. And a big piece of that is helping you have confidence in your decisions. But at the same time, you know, more towards the management consulting side, I am going to give you based on my experience, my advice and what I think are some changes you need to make and send you on your way. But instead of, I think that consultant drop in the plan for you to implement and walk away, I am going to continue to coach you through that process. And so yeah. it's a little bit hybrid at the end of the day. I haven't figured out the right word that resonates <laughs> with people. I, you know, hybrid is a hard one to explain, but yeah. uh, and some people like one word versus the other. So, but it is that kind of approach. And, and it really is focusing on, for me, that leadership, whether that's communication and delegation piece and getting really confident in your decisions, your people process, really engaging your talent so that your team is performing and a little bit of the organizational structures and design so that you can scale. And I believe if you put those three elements together, you've got this high-performing culture that can be sustainable and continue to support growth. Yeah. You know, let's talk about something you mentioned earlier, because I think I think it's a, it comes up again and again for me when I'm working with, with teams and I'm working with leaders. Um, this whole idea of setting expectations, how do you kind of help or, or what's the process that you use to help a, a leader figure out what their expectations actually are and then how to effectively communicate them down or, you know, to the team members they're working with. Just because I find that that can be the source of so many problems that either it hasn't been communicated or even the leader hasn't figured out what their expectations actually are. How do you 
you kind of address this with folks? Right. I think it does start with making sure that they can articulate what that is. And so, right, there's expectations for the business. And I think about, you know, culture, if you want to drill down, is how how work gets done. So how does your team do the work, interact? You know, what are the processes in place? And for me, it's more the people aspect. So, you know, what kind of values do you want in terms of respect and collaboration and inquisitive or curiosity? What are you looking for? And are you articulating those things when you're hiring people and getting the culture fit? And then are you disseminating that information? Whether, you know, I don't know that I think trainings, you know, sure they work and I think they help with the process and the, the understanding of the business, but a lot of it's in your actions, right? So how are you engaging with your direct reports? And as yep. you're building out this layer with management, it's not only what you say, I think we all know, but it's how you act. And, and that is how you act and how you act by omission. And so what are you not doing to show what you believe in? And then, you know, it's the nuts and bolts of expectations when it comes to the business side. It's really that engagement piece, which is really taking your strategic objectives and breaking them down really into metrics and KPIs and things that your team can really identify how they contribute to the business and what you expect out of them in terms of that performance. And I think they then own it much more. And if you delegate and say, you know, here's what I want you to do, here's what I want you to hit as an outcome. Now you go figure out what the best way to do it within these values, but you go figure out, be creative, you know, how you work together, how you do your own work, you know, what your process is, but go do it on your own. And, you know, come to me if you have major questions. I think you let people run with, with what they're doing and you just have set the expectation for the outcome. Yeah. Well, what are the major hangups or the challenges that leaders have around that process? Do you, do you find typically? I used to work with somebody who said, knows in fingers out. And I think that's right. Some managers get into this micromanaging piece again. You're setting the outcome. You're setting the framework for, you know, values. You've put in place the systems. Now let it run. It's its own machine. And you've hopefully put in some quality checks and performance reviews and those sort of customer feedbacks if it's about quality. But particularly when you come to service businesses, right, you build and you get further and further away from the process as the founder. And maybe, you know, you've got to be sure your team is delivering in the same way that you would deliver. And that's a bit about process or a big piece of standard process and automation and whatever you can do to keep that consistency. But how are you reviewing performance, not only internally by your own processes, but how are you soliciting feedback from customers on what they want, what they're seeing, what the impact has been, what their engagement with the team has been, what would they like to see more of? So you can really get a sense of how your people are delivering what they're doing because, you know, if you're really scaling a business, your your goal is to make yourself replaceable or to take yeah. yourself out of the business entirely. So, and I think that's a hard thought to have. Maybe yeah. it's a little bit ego, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've worked with a founder who got a patent and then that parts of COVID accelerated her business, right? And so we were talking about next steps and, you know, it's being honest with yourself. She said, basically, I don't want to be CEO. You know, yeah. I want to be in the business helping on the execution. I really don't want to be CEO of this business. And I think that's really important to note about yourself. 
Yeah. Yeah, I always find ha- having that conversation early can be helpful because <laughs> it will avoid a lot of pain. <laughs> a lot of a lot of people being frustrated, uh, both the founder and everyone around them. It can be uh, difficult if he or she really doesn't want to sit in that leadership. And there's plenty of other seats. I mean, I, I find this typically with you know folks that are highly technical in some way, or they're mm-hmm. you know technologists, or you know like a legal profession or accountants, you know who really love what they do and they love the work product and they love to be involved in it. And then they get stuck in this, you know, high growth company and, you know, taking away from the thing that really gives them passion. And if, and if we can identify that sooner rather than later and then figure out a strategy for, you know, how they can still, you know, play the ownership role and then play a key contributing role inside the company, but not necessarily have to sit in that CEO seat, it can lead to a lot, lot better outcomes and a lot, lot faster growth than if you force it. Right. And if you're right, if you're delivering your service and you want that sort of delivery in that sales process and you're really strong at sales, maybe that's the team you want to lead and you want to be out and be the face of that process and the communications and conversations you're having, then fine, go do that. And you know, somebody else can run the operations in the day to day. You don't need to have a hand in everything. Go do what you do best. And that's, you know, you could be the face. That's, you know, what people are hiring at the end of the day as well. So yeah, do what you do best and what you like to do, which is also, you know, do what you like to do and what you do best. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that I think a lot of challenges come when a leader tries to emulate, you know, somebody else that they know, you know, and they've, they've seen them be very successful in kind of the leadership team they developed and the role that they've crafted for themselves and the growth is good and everything. And they try to mimic that and it just, it, it fails miserably because, and the thing I say is like, well, these are vastly different people. And so, you know, the one of the reasons that person has done so well is they've really figured out, you know, what they're good at, what they're not good at, what they like to do, what they don't like to do. And they've surrounded themselves with a team. They've set up processes to really enhance that and leverage their skills. And, and unless you really take individual stock and, and assess your own yeah, strengths and weaknesses and, and likes and dislikes and where do you really want to add value and then create a team, create a leadership team and create a company, you know, around that. It's going to be tough. You can you can create a situation that is not good for you, <laughs> if, you if you just try to copy somebody else. What do you think are some of the key things that a leader needs to look at when kind of making those decisions on what kind of role they want to play as the company kind of grows and scales? Like what are there things that you investigate or questions that you ask them to help figure that out? I think it's a lot around asking the questions around what they want to do and what their skill sets are. And I don't just mean, you know, I'm a great marketer, I'm a great tech guy, I'm a great salesperson, but you know, what in your past have you learned? Do you like managing people? I think that's a huge one. I mean, do you like actually managing and not doing? And do you like to help, you know, do you like to focus on what people are good at and what people are not good at and be responsible for matching and developing people? Do you want to spend your time on oversight and review and feedback that's an active regular process do you want to develop your managers you know i think if you really choose leadership and it's not a purely operations role then it's all about your people now maybe you're also not a people person right do you have i think in large part right do you have the eq to run that piece of the business and that's very different and so do you do you have enough control over do you think you're self-aware you know ask questions around that do you really think you you know not everybody monitors their own emotions or can regulate them maybe you've got like you know you're up you're down that's just who you are you're very passionate to a point where you can't necessarily 
be rational in a, in a way that works with people? Can you read the room really well? Yeah. Not everybody can do that. And so you've got to have a high level of EQ to run a successful business. And if you can figure out if you've got that or help them figure out if they really have that. And certainly you can develop these things. But I also say, you know, the, the pace at which you want to scale do you want to spend the time working on these things or do you want yeah. to just go focus? And it's the same thing when you hire managers, right? When you're starting to scale, you've got, I mean, this is very early stage, which is not necessarily where I focus, but right, you've got that initial and I've seen that fall apart with legal clients. You've got this group of 10, 15 people and you're very high touch with them and you know them and everybody's kind of doing a little bit of everything. But once you really put people into functions, you know, yeah, it's really appealing to keep those loyal folks, those generalists in place and help them grow into these new functional roles. But do you have the time? Can you afford the mistakes while they work it out and figure it out? Yeah. And that's the same thing with yourself, right? Do you have the time to put into these skills building and do you want to learn these skills? Yeah, it's almost it's almost like you need to kind of abstract yourself as an employee. <laughs> <Figure out like, laughs> yes. Would you hire yourself for this role? I mean, actually, I do that a lot of clients are saying, look, okay, would like if if you were if you were interviewing yourself for this job, would you give yourself the role? Because and then that's kind of the idea of being kind of the owner operator is like as an owner, you need to kind of you know to think about these things, right? Like, are you the best person to be able to kind of take this company to the next level from an ownership point of view? It can be a tough conversation sometimes. And do you want to develop? And then do you really want to spend time developing your team? I mean, I really believe you're, you know, particularly in a service business until you, sure, you try to productize and all of that. But right at the beginning, your team is your product, right? Yeah. I mean, so you've really got to focus on them and develop them and engage them. And it's all about this, you know, feedback and development loop. And that's, you know, that's a different skill set and a whole use of your time that you may not want to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, figuring out what what the, you know, kind of ultimately what your outcome wants to be and like, what do you want to achieve with all this? And then what is the quickest way there? Oftentimes it can be, maybe there's alternate scenarios you haven't considered that, that get you there faster, you know, with less pain, <laughs> with more profitability. <laughs> um, I think it's, uh, you mentioned something earlier I wanted to circle back on was this whole idea of automation. I mean, I, tell me a little bit about how you approach because obviously, you know, if you want to grow and scale the business, you know, obviously you need to kind of standardize things. You need to bring in kind of repeatable, uh, scalable processes. How do you approach kind of this this automation and standardization? What are some of the principles and things that you're looking for when the business wants to scale? How do you think about this? So I, you know, I'm not the operations input person. I think there's really great people who help you put in systems and that really help you automate. What I try to say is, you know, as early as, you know, solopreneur, five group five employees and you start scaling, right? Do you have formalized contracts? Do you have consistency? You know, what requires a high human touch and where does human interaction really have no value add? Where are you seeing the mistakes happening and the quality falling apart? What is slowing you down, right? If you talk to your employees or groups, you know, this team in sales and this team in tech, you know, asking them what doesn't work, right? You don't know everything. You're not in the day-to-day, but But again, it's this soliciting feedback. It's not just about performance, but, you know, what is working? What slows you down? What information don't you have to do your job? Quality control, where are mistakes happening or falling through the cracks information? And then putting those systems around. Um, And then, you know, as a leader, really deciding what you automate and don't, right? There's a point where customer service gets automated, 
their customer service gets automated. Maybe it's a habit really said, you know, we all get pissed off with the, you know, hitting dial zero to get a representative (laughs) a thousand times, but it's not a, you know, real scaled businesses. It's not effective necessarily until some point where you have the resources, money to do so, to have an entire customer service team that you've hired if you, you know, geographically or however it is. So it's some hybrid. It's a little bit of tech to get you to this, you know, point and maybe it's chat functions on websites and they work really well, but at some point you need the human touch. But your job is to really make sure if it's, you know, services is all about the high level of quality of service. So, and what your customer experience and journey looks like. So where along the point do you feel like this is really critical to have this high touch point? And so I can't automate it. I can't outsource it. I really need to have that kind of interaction. But the rest, you know, it's a repeatable, it's the same form, you know, okay, I was the founder and I did something a certain way. Well, did you actually document it, right? It's easy to get caught up at this pace they're moving, but like from beginning to end, how did you start this process? How do you, you know, particularly again, service businesses onboarding, right? So how did the conversation go? How did you take the next step? What did you communicate? What kind of paperwork did you put in place? How did you collect information from them to start the engagement? What kind of process did you have along the way as touch points and feedback loops? And so really documenting what you did so you can be replaceable is key. Yeah. And let's, let's dig a little bit into the, um, into the hiring thing since you mentioned it. And I find it such a, a big part of service companies is kind of finding the right people and talent and you know, developing a culture. What, what are some of the things you do with clients, helping them kind of figure out this sort of the people strategy of you know, finding people, hiring people, performance management, anything, any strategies, tricks that you use to help them increase the level of talent and effectiveness? I think you got to be really clear on what you want. And so the same way we would say, describe your client avatar and get really clear on what that looks like and the values they have. I think as you build out your team and you're scaling, you know, you're going from 25, 50, whatever it is, what are your best employees that deliver the best quality, right? What do they look like? What are their values? What are their skill sets? Do they have high um, customer service skills? You know, anything you can find is similarities between them and put that as your base in terms of the type of people you're looking for, but then be really specific about what you want. I mean, I don't think everybody's role, I think a scaled service business is still very much like a product, like about team collaboration, right? The best service you're going to deliver to your customer is really seamless between your different teams, whether that's, you know, scaling from the beginning. It's not just people delivering, but is your legal team supporting it? Is your back office top notch? Are you building everything at the same time so that collaboration is seamless? And so, you know, what are those different specific roles that you need to to deliver the service. In terms of finding, obviously, I think, you know, the one thing I caution, I think businesses are really big about, and I think it's a double-edged sword, I guess, right? It's using your networks to find people that have similar skills or similar approaches to life and values and all of that. But I also say be really careful because that kind of lends itself into a biased pool. And so go be as diverse as possible. And again, think about your customer base. What businesses, if you're going B2B, what businesses are they from? Do you have people who have experiences in those industries so that they can really make a connection? You know, 
be to see what what does your customer base look like and do you have that diversity in your in your employee base and your teams and you know by saying when I say culture fit I really try to hone in on the fact that I don't mean everybody looks the same right everybody yeah. has to bring this diversity of background and perspective and ideas if you want to grow but you know culture fit is just a base bottom. But I think the hiring's hard. And now, you know, you add in this layer of, I'm sure people could spend hours upon hours <laughs> talking about the fact that now we have everything being remote yeah. recruitment. You've got yeah. these pools of people that have now multiplied that are available for positions. Um, figuring out that connection and are they a good culture fit of even harder than ever before. Um, I think the, you know, service business thinking in that lens, right? There's this timing that happens between, okay, here's my, you know, process and how long it takes me, the whole customer acquisition piece. And then have I accounted for the churn piece and retention and thought through that. And then if I get those all right, have I scaled my team to deliver at the exact same time? And and do I have the resources to do that all at the same time, right? And so yeah. it is this balancing that happens and you know, I find it fascinating. I, you know, just reading different HR posts lately and, you know, what that onboarding process looked like. And I, even from the founder to CEO perspective, the thing you find often are founders and management teams wait too long to hire because it is a question of demand and resources. But then they, right, and then it's all this frenzy and I've got all these new clients because, you know, I got all these new referrals or whatever it is. And all of a sudden you need five more people, 10 more people, 20 more people in the next month so that you deliver. Well, you know, if you haven't been talking and grooming candidates, particularly in high-touch businesses, you know, that's going to turn out really badly. You know, you need time for this process. Hiring from the very beginning of finding candidates to the moment you're onboarding is a long process. And I don't know if it just got longer. I don't, you know, I don't know what these, <laughs> you know, you see, you hear all these things of now people are doing, you know, presentations and projects and, I know. you know, 20 interviews. I, you know, I don't know how you get to the core of culture. And so that's something for my clients, you know, I know it's a bit HR, but I think it's really in how I help them um, acquire and find the culture fit is I'm just fascinated by trying to read what the new best of best practices will be in this new world. And something, and I know we could probably do a whole nother episode on this, but the, this whole issue of diversity and kind of the challenge of on one hand, you know, you want to leverage kind of the the easy channels that you have to folks. On the other hand, that can really lead you into a, a very kind of sort of biased or weighted situation in terms of the type of people you're bringing on. How can leaders and service companies that are looking at their kind of talent strategy weave in some practices that are going to help them increase, you know, diversity at all sorts of levels inside their business? Anything that you recommend? From the very beginning. And, you know, with your HR, whoever's, you know, how big your team is, I don't know. But who's ever doing the recruiting, right? First of all, you make it a a top qualification that you're looking at when you're evaluating your HR team and how they're doing. One piece is how they're working on diversity and how they're executing on that mission. You know, it's, I don't know if it's like, I say, like, go to industry groups, use recruiters, Talk to people outside your network how best you can if that's 
your own peer-to-peer networks, other industries. I think posting on major social platforms and recruiting, it's in the qualifications you're looking for. So I used to do a lot of board advising in my old life, right? And in the end of the day, the qualification always for a boardroom was you've been a CEO at another company. Well, by nature, that knocked out a number of women and other minorities. And so same thing, right? I am scaling a business and I want to run sales from a million to 10 million. That's what I want to do. So I'm going to go find somebody who did that before. Okay. Well, that may limit your pool. Who's somebody who's had really success at building a sales team, maybe from 25 to 50 people or has a skill set and maybe can step into the role. I think being really narrow in your qualifications, you know, I'm in this industry, so I want this person in this industry who's done this before. Well, that's not necessarily going to get you the biggest pool. It's more about, you know, what they can step into, what little successes they've had. You know, it doesn't have to be a VP to step into a VP role. I mean, I think you've got to be broader in your qualifications. And then, you know, whether it's schools you went to, industry circles, there are a lot of places you can put out in social media now and have somebody to, it's a lot of resumes that's going to come through. But you know, to this day, it's still, I hate to say it, you know, a job opens and warm introductions and getting your name in there to the top of the pile gets you visibility. And I think it's resisting that and saying, okay, that's a pile over here, but I'm going to dedicate the resources to going through this other pile of many resumes and I'm going to, and then, yeah, we can get into the whole, and then there's systems now to automate, to go through the skill sets and the resumes and how much bias is really built into those, how effective are they in building in diversity, you know, that's a whole nother debate, I suppose, and statistics we're still working out as go through those thousands upon thousands of resumes that some jobs get. Kate, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you and the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? Sure. I'd go to my website, which is www.k8carney.com. I've got a great five strategies for scaling on there that you can download. If you prefer Instagram, it's k8.carney. Great. I'll make sure that all those links and URLs are in the show notes so people can click through and get that information. Again, Kate, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. This is fun. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.